I didn't really like that idea because I wanted to be an all-star receiver. I wanted to catch passes. I wanted to be all the fame. But as soon as I got my first sack, I was like, forget the touchdowns, forget the catches, receptions. I want to do this for a living. It's a bonus playoff edition of the Waggle talking all things Western semifinal between the Edmonton Eskimos and the Blue Bombers in Winnipeg this Sunday. James Sabalski and Davis Sanchez hanging out with you. Chezzy, this is the first time in six years the Bombers are hosting a playoff game. This is the team that no team has gone through a longer drought in recent history without winning a great cup than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who are now at the 27-year mark since they last hoisted the Grey Cup. That's think about that, man. We're starting to get close to 30 years. That's uh, that's been a, that's been a minute. Uh, that's that's been a minute. They uh, they've had some bad luck. That that's that's for certain. And, and again, it seems like uh, they've been struck again with with some bad luck, some uh, some unfortunate here, misfortune here. As we look at uh, what's happening with Maddie Nichols. Uh, as we go through the through this week, and will he or won't he? The sense is that he's going to. Uh, that seems to be the expectation for this point in time. Uh, that that that's that is the biggest question I think going in, right? And and how the health of Matt Nichols, who had a great year. I mean, you look at the numbers: just eight interceptions all year, almost thirty touchdowns. You know, the yards don't necessarily compare to what Mike Riley did from from Edmonton standpoint, but I don't think Mike Riley had a complimentary piece quite like Andrew Harris until C.J. Gable came to town halfway through the year. So Matt Nichols uh, has been incredibly reliable all season long and put up great numbers for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But the health situation is a major concern, uh, dealing with a calf, uh, a calf injury and also a finger injury uh, going into this one. He sat out the final regular season game in Calgary, and the Bombers still came away with a victory that, that locked up this home playoff date. But this is, uh, this is a tough time for this team is absolutely reeling right now. My biggest question mark surrounding the Bombers, not just dealing with the health of of Matt Nichols, but Chez, it's the health of so many key guys. Mo Leggett done for the year. Darvin Adams has been ruled out of this one here as well. The health of the Bombers, to me, is one that I'm wondering, can they overcome this? They have home field advantage. They are an incredibly well-balanced team. Kyle Walters and Mike O'Shea have put together a very deep team, but it's going to be put to the test this coming weekend against an Edmonton team that... Um, there's no hotter team in football right now in the CFL. Twelve wins for twelve wins for these uh, for both these teams, but twelve wins for the Bombers. A home a home playoff game. A quarterback who uh, was uh, you know in the top of the league in a lot of statistical categories, and a running back who was on pace to set uh, a CFL record with a thousand uh, in the air and a thousand on the ground. And this team is going to be an underdog at home. When the Eskimos come in town, and I, uh, I had someone write, <laughs> write, somebody wrote in and told, yeah, unbelievable. Somebody wrote in and told me, no, that wasn't the case. That um, actually, Winnipeg was a one point. Vegas had Winnipeg as a one point favorite early in the week. I find that hard to believe. I would venture to guess that by kickoff time, that number is going to swing uh, over into the into the Eskimos' favor. Uh, there's no way it can't be that, like you just said, James, the Eskimos are too hot, but Eskimos are too hot. But I do want to touch on Matt Nichols and, and more specifically um, just what you do in the situation. Okay, we know that he has a, a, a banged up calf, and it's his left calf. 
But now we know that. We know he's not going to – he may play, he may not. I'm also leaning to the fact of he's going to give it a shot, but how uh, how far will he make it? So let's let's say he does play. And if I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm Mike Benavidez, I look at this and say how – how do you stop a guy who can't really step into throws and make throws? Well, you played some defenses and you get into some you get into some spots. You make things difficult for him. And so what uh, what the S's are going to do? Uh, the best thing for them to do would be to blitz the heck out of Matt Nichols early, uh, make him uncomfortable back there. Even if if you blitz and get your hands on people, yes, there's when you blitz, there's one on one coverage and a quarterback can get the ball out to his receivers. He knows he's got one on one. That allows him to get rid of the ball and maybe not take hits. But there's going to be times where he's going to throw it up and no one's going to be open, and that's going to create turnovers because he's not going to want to take a hit. The second thing that that you do is you take away those quick, short throws that a guy who's banged up, he wants because he wants to get the ball in his hands, and that's any sort of cover two where you can bring your DBs down and they have help over top, whether it's cover two where the corners are low players or you play two-man, which is man-to-man coverage all across the board, bump and run from your halfbacks to your Sam to your corners. Everybody's lined up in bump and run coverage, and you have you have two safeties over the top. And what that does, James, is it's going to take away it's going to take away the quick throws for Matt Nichols, but it's not going to be blitz pressure. So he's going to be four-man pressure. He's going to have a little bit more time back there, but he's not going to have anybody open and the best the open areas and why I see this is and I'm not a I'm not a defensive coordinator but I I know defense enough to know what the open spots are in certain defenses and what's available in others and what's available in those cover twos is deep digs uh, and crossing routes across the middle digs post things like that not post so much but more digs and over routes and the hardest throw for a quarterback to make the quarter the throw where you have to step into a throw with your left foot being forward and like you throw a pitch or you throw a football is a dig route and that's the throw that's open in those coverage you take away the outside make them throw the deep middle routes um and i see that as something that that they will they will have going for sure they they play anyway it's a it's a heavy dose for a lot of defensive coordinators play a lot of cover two and cover two man and no darvin adams either to to kind of help keep some of those defenses honest i mean the one thing that really jumped out for me looking at some of these numbers is is just the balance uh and the depth that edmonton can get after the quarterback i mean you willis Cummings, sewell bowers like you know the, each each one of those guys had at least seven sacks on the year it's Quaku Bo- yeah. Boateng. And you're going to tell, we're going to have a conversation with Quaku yeah, coming up uh, in just a few minutes here uh, on this episode. But you, you look at, you look at the depth in terms of what Edmonton can do defensively. Uh, like how much pressure does this now, how much pressure does this suddenly put on Andrew Harris? They're going to take Andrew Harris away and force uh, these bombers to throw the football because they don't have, they don't have the weapons. They don't have the weapons out of the receiver core. That's just a plain fact. So, uh, Dressler's going to have to be huge. It's it's more. I think I think it's more pressure. Even though Andrew is their number one A or B threat in their offense, he has been all year long. I think there's more pressure on Western Dressler and Washington and Fioli Godino. That's where the pressure could be on these guys, Coates, because they now uh, have to step up and beat man-to-man coverage. When you take away Andrew Harris and you don't have Darvin Adams. The only if you're going to take away Andrew Harris, that means you're bringing guys down, and that means you're not double teaming. You can't just take away Andrew Harris because you want to. 
You have to add guys to you have to add guys to spy him, to cover him, to chip him, whatever you need to do. By doing that, you're taking guys out of your secondary coverage guys, which means those what were secondary guys in their offensive receiving core now got to be primary guys. And those guys got to beat man-to-man coverage against a pretty good S secondary. You know, the one thing I will say about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and this is, is not good news for Edmonton, is there is no more opportunistic or no team makes you pay more than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And you look at the last few weeks here, Davis, the Bombers have scored three touchdowns directly off turnovers and they've scored, they had another one that another turnover that basically set them up at the one yard line. Like that's a lot of points that they've capitalized on. And look, they didn't have the pl- the, the turnover ratio of what plus thirty three like they had last year. But the Bombers have scored. I love this stat: a league leading one hundred and sixty six points off turnovers this year. Think about that. Over 160 points have been scored off turnovers. So, you know, if Edmonton is going to fumble the football, if Edmonton throws a pick, if somebody turns the ball over, the last team you want to do that against is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And that's where their opportunities lie. Making teams pay for mistakes. And Edmonton will not be able to afford to do that against this Bombers team. We've talked about health being an issue with Winnipeg, but this is a team that still has a lot of talent on both sides of the football. This is a team that can certainly take advantage. They smell opportunity, and they capitalize on those opportunities, Dave. Yeah, we have we have uh, TSN 1290's Darren Bombing here uh, here to talk about that. Uh, you want to get Darren on here quickly here, James? Yeah, let's bring in uh, let's bring our first guest in this episode as we preview the Western semifinal. Here's Davis's conversation with the star of CFL 60. Special guest out of the Peg City, the host of this week's Western semifinals, TSN 1290 and my favorite podcast you can't include your own cfl 60 darren bombing welcome thanks for taking time bud hey davis always good to talk to you man i was just gonna say the same thing about your podcast so, so what's happening talk to us uh, you're in the you're in the heart of the action uh, you're at investors group field what's uh, what's the feeling everyone wants to know about matt nichols let's let's start there what's uh, what's the latest on matty ice Yes. So everybody was, uh, you know, got their eyes firmly affixed on uh, Matt Nichols. The Blue Bombers, uh, you know, held a close practice this week. They've held some open ones as well. Uh, But essentially what we've seen from Nichols on the field is, well, frankly, not a lot physically. You know, uh, Matt uh, Dunnigan, CFL on TSN, reported uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, Nichols has been bothered by a calf problem. Uh, you know, it was a non-contact injury a couple weeks ago, knocked him out of the game uh, early uh, in the first quarter. And, uh, you know, then it was Dom Davis and, and Dan Lefevre's team. And I'll tell you what, the reason why everyone's concerned about Matt Nichols and his health going into this Western semifinal, Davis, is because we've seen what this team looks like without their MOP nominee this year and last season as well in in Matt Nichols. It's an offense that is suddenly one-dimensional. It suddenly uh, just doesn't look to have that same explosion and, uh, um, you know, dynamic that it does with both him and Andrew Harris, the run game and the pass game. Um, But uh, as far as the Blue Bombers, for people out there that, um, you know, maybe uh, don't know too much about Mike O'Shea and how he handles things uh, internally when it comes to player injuries and and prognosis and and player health uh, and those sorts of things, uh, he always keeps his 
his cards very close to his vest, doesn't divulge any information that he doesn't need to. Uh, we've seen instances this year where he says, yes, I expect a player to play, and then they're a scratch. Uh, we've seen earlier this year where he said uh, Weston Dressler uh, would be a game-time decision, and then you know we didn't see him for a month as he spent it, uh, the majority <laughs> of it on the six-game injured list. Uh, that's kind of the way things are done. Uh, Mike O'Shea will not make a determination on if Matt Nichols will start in Sunday's Western semifinal in Winnipeg against the Edmonton Eskimos. He will say he expects him to play, and he will say that he is hopeful. Uh, I know one thing. Matt Nichols is showing up to work extremely early every single day, breaking down film for what he doesn't do on the practice field during the week. Uh, he is making up for it in his mental preparation off the field and, uh, you know, in shadowing reps during practice. So he will do whatever he needs to do to get his body as healthy as possible uh, to be ready for this do-or-die playoff game. Well, he did, he did say one thing, that uh, Michael O'Shea did give us some information, and that was letting us know that uh, Maddie Nichols – Pain threshold is huge because he's a redhead, uh, similar similar <laughs> yes. to himself. I found that uh, amusing out of his out of his presser. Uh, my next question: we, we we know what the situation is with Matt Nichols. We don't know if he'll be able to play. Even if so, will he be able to step in the throws? Um, will he be able to move with his feet and move around the pocket? So that tells me uh, we're here in Edmonton now. It tells me what are they going to do? The Eskimos are obviously going to focus on stopping Andrew Harris and, and the run game and will include Flanders in as well. So now we look to the, the next options for this Winnipeg team. How do you guys compete with the juggernaut offense of Edmonton and everything that's going on there? Um, who are the next guys in waiting that the fans might not know about that are possible guys who may step up and make some big plays that, that the Bombers badly need with their top two guys uh, banged up or else being limited? Well, a name everybody knows, uh, future Hall of Famer without question in my mind or, or really anybody's, Weston Dressler. Getting him into space, using his elusiveness uh, in, in his yak yards after he catches the ball, that will be huge, especially in a cold weather game. If they can find him in space, uh, you know, in, in the short passing game, in the intermediate passing game, I think that will help a lot. Um, you know, since the loss of Darvin Adams, uh, the vertical passing game, stretching the ball downfield and using uh, Adams... Uh, not the most physical receiver, uh, you know, in the Canadian Football League, but definitely Winnipeg's most physical and vertical threat. Um, you know, they've really been missing him. Michael Shea won't rule him out for the playoffs, but it'll likely be a, a deeper playoff push before they get him back. The player people need to keep their eye on, number 20 in the Blue Bombers' backfield, often right next to Andrew Harris, is Timothy Flanders. He is an extremely dynamic football player. They use him as a slot back. They'll use him as a running back and put Andrew Harris in the slot to keep opposing defenses on their heels. Um, really, he lit this offense up when he re-entered the lineup uh, right around week six, week seven past season. That's when things really started rolling, not just for Andrew Harris, but for Matt Nichols as well. Uh, he's just a great dynamic piece that offers a wrinkle, um, you know, opponents are having trouble with because they use him in both the run game and the pass game, uh, you know, as I mentioned. So I think he's the one guy uh, that will really need to step up uh, alongside Harris and, and Nichols if he's healthy enough uh, to play. Um, I, I really like the player. You know, he's been in the CFL for two years. He averaged well over six yards per carry, uh, a very different style of runner more of a slasher uh, and more of a speed back than Andrew Harris's power style but uh, it adds a great piece to this Blue Bombers offense they are going to have to score points we know what Mike Riley can do his extremely talented receiving core they have a great old line there with Justin Sorensen and Matt O'Donnell who uh, you know earned a division uh, uh, all-star nod uh, this week uh, at uh, at offensive guard um, 
And this Blue Bombers defense, they've really been struggling all season long and getting a consistent effort. They need to take the ball away, but no doubt, anytime you go up against an MOP frontrunner like Mike Riley and, uh, you know, 5,800 passing yards this season, uh, Winnipeg knows they're going to have to score. The Bombers, uh, during the regular season, beat this Eskimos team twice. And everything you hear, and obviously the injuries play a big part of that, but all you hear right now, at least uh, outside of Winnipeg, is that Winnipeg doesn't have much chance in this game. Is this, do you feel like, uh, are you getting a sense from these Bomber players that they're feeling like they're not getting, the rest of this team, other than Matt Nichols, is not getting enough credit and, and uh, are being overlooked? Yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, uh, you, you talk to the players on this defense, they are self-critical. They know that effort and consistency in, uh, you know, playing defensive football for a full 60 minutes is, is something that uh, they haven't had a lot of success in finding this year in, in any of their games. The games they do find success is doing what uh, they've been known to do both last season with an unbelievable, uh, you know, takeaway uh, turnover ratio of plus 29. Again, this season, uh, a very good uh, ratio as well as Matt Nichols has been responsible with the football but that Blue Bombers defense, extremely opportunistic, stripping footballs away, stepping in front and, and coming away with interceptions, those sorts of things. Uh, that's the key to their success. They need to force takeaways. They need to force turnovers uh, of their opponent to, to get success, set the Blue Bombers up with a little bit of shorter field position. They've had very strong special teams uh, for the last two years uh, since Michael Shea's roles increased uh, in you know, coordinating that along with Paul Boudreau Jr., who joined uh, the coaching staff recently. Um, but, uh, again, it's this defense that everybody, um, you know, you say they don't get a lot of respect. I think it's rightfully so. The yards against, the explosion plays have been a consistent thing all season long. Finding consistent 60-minute efforts is, is where Winnipeg uh, kind of lacks. And I think it gets maybe um, you know, covered up a little bit sometimes or shrouded a little bit because this team will come away with you know, five takeaways, six takeaways, or like we saw in week 20 uh, in the snow in Calgary, seven takeaways on defense, including a pair of uh, defensive touchdowns in that game that really helped Winnipeg come away with that 23-5 victory. The reward in this league for playing well in the regular season is home field advantage, and that is something that the Bombers have earned. Like with a great regular season, investors group field is one of the most difficult places to play. Is the crowd, is it going to be a sellout? What's happening with ticket sales? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, the Blue Bombers will not release capacity numbers for, for attendance right now, but they will, they have said, uh, their director of communications, Darren Cameron, stating that they're right around selling 1,000 tickets per day, uh, you know, with a season ticket base around 24,000, 22, 24,000, somewhere in there is, is uh, you know, you add in uh, 1,000 tickets a day. I think it would have helped a lot if Saskatchewan was the team coming here this week instead of crossing over to the east. I have no doubt there'd be three, four, five thousand 5,000 people making that pilgrimage from the province province uh, just to Manitoba's west, but uh, I think Edmonton's fans travel well as well. Uh, I would not be surprised, Davis, if there was around 30,000 fans uh, in the stands in Winnipeg. The weather is going to be very comparable to the Grey Cup game two years ago, 2015, Grey Cup 103, where it was right around minus 3, minus 4, minus 5 degrees, no snow, very minimal wind. Uh, it's going to be a perfect uh, Canadian Prairie football uh, playoff game on Sunday. I expect that building to be to be sold out and be a packed house. I can tell you the energy here in Edmonton, there's a lot of people going down for that game. You can feel the buzz of playoff football. Even here in Edmonton, everybody's talking about that game. So I would expect they'll, they'll travel well. Obviously, a lot of uh, Edmontonians living in Winnipeg as well. So I think the combined with those two, I think it's going to be a, a, a big crowd there, which is necessary for this team with all the things happening with the Bombers. Uh, in regards to injuries, in regards to, uh, you know, Matt Nichols not knowing what he'll do. And then, and then just the fact that this Eskimos team is, is playing, you're probably stuck yep. with 
after such a great regular season and probably stuck playing the hottest team and, in my opinion, the best team right now in the Canadian Football League <laughs> in the first round of the playoffs. Doesn't seem fair, but, Darren, life's not fair. Tell me this real fast before we let you go. Uh, on, in the East, who, who do you like to come out of the East in, that, in the first semifinal, and who do you think fits uh, the Bombers better? Who's the better fit for the Bombers if they were to advance? Oh, that's a great question. You know, as far as the East, um, you know, you look at Saskatchewan coming in, winners of, of uh, I believe, four of their last six games, playing some excellent defense right now. I love Ed Ganey. I love Willie Jefferson, two extremely talented players, along with some veterans and some younger players there uh, in uh, former Blue Bombers, uh, Enoch Mwamba and Javon Johnson. Uh, if they, if that defense can be opportunistic and, and uh, you know, take advantage of uh, potential turnovers by the Ottawa Red Blacks, I think Saskatchewan could knock them off. Ottawa's offense is, is the one uh, factor in that game. If Trevor Harris can get the pass game going like he has, um, uh, you know, this season, I think that's a great opportunity. But Toronto playing at home, uh, you know, a better crowd expected at BMO Field for a playoff game and, and a healthy Ricky Ray. I think they're the team uh, that, that is likely to emerge uh, from the East. Uh, as far as who Winnipeg might match up best against uh, if they are, uh, you know, the West Division champion and are able to win this week and, and win in Calgary uh, in a couple weeks' time, um, you know, that's a great question. I, I'm not sure. Uh, we could hold off on that one, David. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question, though, David. He, he stymied to, me. <laughs> well, you're a guy who, who, likes to do, who likes to do your research. You are an abundance of information, so I will, I will allow you to gather like a good investigator does. Go ahead and gather. Think about it. I wouldn't give you my pick. I was on your show again, yes. CFL 60. That is that is the podcast. You can find you can find that on, on iTunes, and that's TSN 1290s. Darren Vomit, you do a great job, all things CFL. Darren, thanks for joining us, buddy. I, I appreciate it, and uh, and we'll see you this week and this Sunday. Get out, fans, and uh, and check that game at Investors Group Field this Sunday. Great CFL playoff football. Yeah, the East and West Division semifinals should both be great. Uh, just so many teams. Uh, coming in and, and, and compelling storylines. I look forward to it. Davis, always good to talk to you, buddy. We'll see you on the weekend. Cheers. Thanks again, Darren. Chaz, nice conversation with Darren Bombing of uh, CFL 60. And uh, as we jump into, as we jump into now with the Edmonton Eskimos and Let's uh, let's look into what like look this to me this Edmonton team and take nothing away from what they have done defensively this year, but Mike Riley has basically stopped short of physically lifting up Commonwealth Stadium with the locker room and the rest of the club and put them on his shoulders. It is remarkable with what he has had to do with the volatility and the injuries that Edmonton over the course of the year, uh, Mike Riley, almost 6,000 yards passing 30 touchdown passes. I think he is numbers wise, your odds on favorite to win this year's most outstanding player. Unless there is an overwhelming sentimental feeling for Ricky Ray. That's the only thing that will prevent Mike Riley from winning the MOP this year. That, I mean, it, it just, he has been remarkable and, once again, here they go. They're they're on a roll at just the way they started. Here they go. They've won five in a row entering the playoffs. Uh, I love the balance that they've offered defensively this year compared to where they were at. But how do you shut down Mike Riley and the weapons now that, 
You look at this devastating receiving core that seemed to have found their form. Guys like Adarius Bowman seem to be back to full health. Uh, guys like Darrell Walker is now starting to find his groove again. And Chez, Brandon Zilstra, was he came on strong at the end of last year, but he really carried that over to turn himself into a star receiver over the course of 2017. There's not a receiver in the league better than Brandon Zilstra right now. He's he's earned that. And I remember doing a hit, I think maybe week five or six, I did a piece on on double coverage and, and the receivers, uh, why they were getting open. And I, and I said that the reason was because Zilstra – was getting singled, and that's because Darius Bowman has been one of the best guys in this league year after year, and he demands a double team in Zilstra, and, a, and an offensive coordinator told me that Zilstra's good, but he's not good enough yet where we have to double team him. And I uh, bet you uh, that those words have changed. The narrative on the Brandon Zilstra and how you, how you roll with Zilstra, that's changed. And I asked uh, Adarius Bowman uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, I had a chance to chat with Adarius. I asked him, I said, man, people keep asking me through the year, what's going on with Adarius? Why, you know, why not the numbers? Is he slowed down or is the offense changed? What is it? And uh, he was pretty honest with me. He said, Chaz, I, I don't know. He goes, I really don't know. But he goes, people ask me the same thing. And I said, well, you're, I said, were you healthy? He said, I was healthy. Uh, I went on the sixth game. I was a little bit nicked up, but I, I, it got me back um, feeling 100%, and things still weren't going great. I said, well, how has it changed in the, in the last month? What's, you know, what's happened over the last few weeks here if there's been a difference? And what he said was, uh, it was pretty cool. He said, me and Mike Riley have been through so much together. And we've been out, we've thrown the ball together in the morning and in the evening and on the weekends and just outside of football so much together. And we've been in so many big games together that our cohesiveness and our relationship on the field, the things we see that others don't see, the things we can drop in the dirt. He said that eventually was going to start clicking again and people can't, can't stop us when that's going again. And so he feels like what they have, what him and Mike have, nobody. He actually said this. This is a quote that nobody, there's not a receiver quarterback in the league that have the chemistry that me and Mike Riley have. So they have they found that again. He feels pretty confident they found that again. And that, that's a problem because right now, you know, it, was, it seemed like the Zilstra show. It seemed like uh, the Darrell Walker was, was the next guy. And then it was Bowman. Well, I think Bowman found his way again, and now you got all three of those guys. So tell me this. Uh, Edmonton, obviously, with all the receiving and everything that you said, just with respect to Edmonton offensively, you got a couple of ball hawks uh, in TJ Heath and Chris Randall. Um, they each had five picks this season. Now, granted, there's no Mo Leggett in that, uh, you know, on that defensive side of the football who was a huge disruptive force for opposing offenses, but does Winnipeg have enough to disrupt or make life uncomfortable still because that's still a very deep defensive front line for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Do they have enough in your mind to stop or contain Mike Riley or make life uncomfortable at least as they go on the road here? You just, you nailed it, James. You, you said it. I don't even need to answer because you answered your own question. It's it's that front four. You're right. It, the, the front four is the key for the Bombers to stop the Eskimos receivers it's it's that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be the DBs going to lock them down. They don't they don't have five guys who are going to go down there and just lock down these S receivers. Don't forget about Vidal Hazelton now. Hazelton's a player. I've said it. I used to say it all the time when I first saw him come in the league. He's got some wiggle to him. Like he's legit. He's a 
He's a serious talent. I don't think people realize just how talented he is. He's a the kid can play. So now it's another guy you got to worry about. So the front four of the Bombers is the key to stopping that that Edmonton receiving core. And they can. You're right. You know Corey Johnson, Acapulco, uh, Tristan. Oh, Tristan O. Tristan O. And Jeff Coat. Those guys can get after it. I mean, and they're. Uh, and I, I, li- I like that front four. Well, okay, so let's get to the moment of truth here. Uh, we're going to share your conversation with Kwaku Botang from Edmonton uh, here momentarily. But the moment of truth has arrived for our picks for the CFL West semifinal. Davis, uh, after saying all that, I'm still going with the Edmonton Eskimos here this weekend. I like Edmonton just based on the way that this team's playing. Edmonton's won five straight. The Bombers have limped to the finish line here, having won just two of their final five games. I think just Edmonton is clicking right now, and I think that's going to be a difference for them to pull off the uh, the road win here. They're not even they're favorites going into this one, so you can't even call it an upset. But I'm going to take the road team. Uh, it seems as though the odds makers seem to see it that way as well. But I just these these are two teams that are just going in different directions at this moment. And I think the health issue is a big one surrounding the Bombers. Yeah, I, I'm with I'm with you. Uh, the Eskimos just have too much firepower. They're, right now, the Esks are the best team in the CFL. Right now, the way they're playing, they're the best team in the league. I, even though they're on the road for the next three weeks, potentially, I'm, I, I got to go with, with the Edmonton Eskimos. That's Davis Sanchez. I'm James Sabalski. We will continue to do this next week. And uh, Davis' conversation... With Kwaku Boteng is on deck. Don't forget, if you haven't subscribed already, you can find us on iTunes. Click subscribe. It's free, and a brand-new episode goes right to your tablet or your device or your smartphone each and every week, or in this case, three of them, like these bonus episodes we're doing throughout the 2017 postseason. This this kid is a star, Seaball. Listen to this interview with Kwaku Boteng. This kid, uh, for all of us, what a great Canadian kid. Kwaku Boteng is. Wait to hear what Mike Benavides says about the talent of this kid. Well, I look forward to hearing it. And I will say this quickly in closing with respect to Kwaku Boteng. The two of us loved what this guy was doing physically at the at the CFL Combine back in March, Chez. And yet he drops in the draft order. And yet sometimes we just forget what they actually do sometimes uh, over the course of their youth sports seasons. And Kwaku Boteng may have been undersized at the CFL level, but you know what? The guy's a football player. And the guy's a hell of a good athlete. And that's carried over. And he's a gr- and he's a great he's a great young man. A great young man. Davis in conversation with Kwaku Boteng right here on the Waggle. Welcome to the Waggle. We have a special guest playoff playoff edition of the Waggle, and one of the bright young stars of the league, a pass rusher extraordinaire, uh, Kwaku Botang. Welcome to the Waggle. Thanks for having me out here. Um, I'm excited to be here. Tell me this right away off the rip. I was talking to one of your coaches. Uh, actually, his name is Mike Benavides, your def- defensive coordinator, and he said something to me that rocked me. I had I had to stop him and say, "Did did you just can you repeat what you just say, coach?" And uh, and he said, Kwaku Botang in 20 years had the best training camp I've ever seen from any college rookie. Uh, uh, that was, tell me about, about your, uh, especially getting drafted later than you expected, which everyone talks about that, but who cares now? Because a lot of people made a mistake, obviously. But when he says that about you, what are the expectations for you? And how does that make you feel to hear that coming out of his mouth? The guy who's been around football a long time. I think it really just shows... I think it really just shows the character um, that Coach Benavides has. And I think really goes back to the combine and 
as poorly as as hurtful as the combine uh, results were for me. Why was it hurtful? Um, I just felt like um, I should perform a lot better in certain situations, and um, obviously me coming in around 235 didn't help my case. But regardless, I, after that combine, I'm actually kind of thankful just because I feel like that added a cheap chip on my shoulder, and without that, I don't know where I would be right now. And going to camp as a fifth fifth round pick over a first round pick, it's just different mentality there. So I think that with that behind me, it just helped me, it just fueled me to be the person I was during training camp. You know, many first round picks that Mike Benavides has had in in his years of years of coaching that have come through on the defense side of the ball for him. So many, but he said you were the best, and, and as a fifth rounder. So how did that make you feel to hear that? That's high praise. It makes makes me feel like all my hard work has been has been evident. Someone's looking at it, and someone's realizing uh, the hard work that I've put in. And I'm just thankful to be in the position I am. And I've always said, funny enough, when I was going to combine, I always thought to myself. Regardless of these numbers and these results, I know I can play football. So I knew that when it came to one-on-ones and when it came to for my chance to be on the football field on the gridiron, I knew I could show my talent. And um, again, I should have worked harder during the combine skill testing-wise, but I feel like you're either you're either a football player or you're not. And I know that the combine is important, but at the end of the day, you put me on the field, you know I could shop on. Your football influences growing up. Did you play football at a young age, or how did you fall in love with this game? Funny enough, uh, I, I was born in Ghana. I moved, I moved here when I was two. Um, to Ontario. I lived in Toronto for a bit, then Mississauga, but I really found my home in Milton. Um, I moved there when I was in seventh grade, and it wasn't until ninth grade where a friend of mine actually told me to stop playing soccer because I was playing soccer. I was playing all these. Did you say that because you weren't any good? (laughs) You said that for a a mixture of things. I wasn't wasn't too good, but I was also too, I felt like I was too, he felt like I was too big to be playing around (laughs) um, playing soccer. So he said, come, come play football. Um, And I joined the high school team and they put me as wide receiver. Um, that was a blast in the fall. Wait, hold on. Give a shout-out to your high school. What was, what's your high school? Uh, Bishop Redding Catholic High School okay. in Milton. Um, and then uh, a late, uh, the, the late Joe uh, Luciani, actually. I'm sad, sorry to say that, but uh, he's the one that actually moved me from wide receiver to defensive end because we had a defensive end at Laurier, and he was a, um, a big part of the Laurier program, football program. And he said, you remind me of um, Chima. And Chima played in the, um, the CFL and had a chance in the NFL as well. He's like, you're long like him. I'm going to put you as the def- defensive end. And I didn't really like that idea because I wanted to be an all-star receiver. I wanted to catch passes. I wanted to be all the fame. But as soon as I got my first sack, I was like, forget the touchdowns. Forget the catches, receptions. I want to do this for a living. And that's where I really fell in love with the game. The one thing I, I read something about you, Kwaku, said that the biggest thing that you're working on now in your progression is your size, trying to maintain your weight, trying to gain weight. Coach Benny's got yeah. you got you eating. You're, you're, you yourself are trying to get bigger. Take us, the listeners of the Waggle, through a day in the life of Kwaku Botang diet-wise. You wake up in the morning. Well, give us, take us through the day, which, what you're trying to get done uh, eating-wise. Yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a funny routine. How much, do you, how much do you weigh right now? What are you trying to get to? Right now, I'm 247. What would you like to be at ideally? About 250. A solid 250. Um, it's funny that you brought up co- um, Coach Benavides. As soon as week two came, he's like, you're, you're losing weight. Um, we'll send you to a dietitian. So I had to go to a dietitian. I sat down uh, with a dietitian for like an hour and a half. He's saying you were losing weight. He wanted you to keep your weight on, right? Just, oh, just to yeah. be clear. Yeah. Exactly. My weight on and maintain it. And I, I listened to him, obviously. And it's helped me because one of the key things the dietitian actually told me was just to have two, two, uh, two protein shakes right after, right after practice. So... My morning routine is I wake up in the morning, I have porridge, I have eggs and bake, um, turkey bacon on the side. 
I downed that during meetings, and then uh, um, I get in the field. After the field, I down two uh, protein shakes, and then I get home. I eat a meal, and then three hours later, you come home and have that meal. Come, I come home around like two o'clock, two o'clock, two thirty, have a meal, and I eat again. I try to eat again at four o'clock or five o'clock, and I have a little snack. Um, again, might be porridge um, at around like eight o'clock, and then I go go to bed around like eleven or ten thirty p.m. Is someone cooking this stuff for you, or you're on your own? That's all me. That's all me. Just cooking. I'm a little chef in the kitchen right now. <laughs> do you live? Do you have, do you have roommates uh, here? Out here? Yeah. Um, I'm actually rooming with uh, Jordan Hoover. He okay, defensive back. Yeah. Okay. You're a pass rusher, and that's that's rare. When you hear the term a ratio breaker, or uh, you play an American position, it's because you're a pass rusher, and you've on record came out and said, "I'm a pass rush specialist." So, Kweku, what do you do? Uh, to get to the quarterback? What makes you a special pass rusher? You've had success at a young age here. What do you do well? I think one of the biggest things that's kept me alive um, on this Amer- All-American D-line here is just my get-off. And uh, as a pass rusher, that's one of the most important things. And if you have that, like Coach Crean says, if you have that, we can mold you and teach you how to use your hands and everything else. But without a get-off, it's really hard to be a great pass rusher. So I really... Um, I really take pride in my get-off, and that's one thing that I'm always striving to be great at. And then I'm developing my hands and whatnot. And if I could beat you through the edge, it's over, right? If I get to the, the spot before you do as a tackle, it's over. So that's- No need for a counter if you, if you beat him off the edge. Exactly. So the goal is just to get off and hopefully beat you to the race. And if I can beat you to the race, I get to the quarterback. But obviously the O-linemen here are a lot better than college, so you have to mix in, with, um, mix in your hands throughout the whole process. You're coming up this, this weekend, Kweku, is your first – First playoff game, your rookie year. You're going to have a, a big role in this in this game. Uh, what do you expect coming into this game? And you, you can't tell me it's just another game. Are you going to keep the same routine? Or you may keep the same routine. You can't say it's just another game. Because I heard guys in your field yelling all game long, all practice long. It's a playoff. It's a playoff game. This is different. Yeah. Uh, how do you, going into this game, for you, excited, your first playoff game, uh, how do you feel coming in? What do you expect? I think it really goes back to, and I know – um, coaches always preach no plays off, but really the the biggest difference between regular season playoffs is really you can't you can't afford any plays off, right? So certain things like hustling to the ball, regardless whether you're on the opposite of field or you're, you're defensive on the opposite field, you got to hustle your hustle to the to the opposite field and get that tackle, or at least show that you're there. So the pursuit is really important and. Just just the mindset's different, and I know we've played Winnipeg twice already in the regular season, so. I'm familiar. We're familiar with their own line and whatnot, but at the end of the day, we got to take it up a notch just because our pride's online and a lot of things are online. You're wearing a shirt right now. It says Earthquakeu. I love it. Uh, 93 on the Richter scale. Earthquakeu, though that's his number, number 93. Quakeu, uh, tell us about. Tell us how many sacks you're gonna get, or if you're gonna get a sack this week, because you're playing Winnipeg. Now our listeners are gonna be following you, looking at 93 and seeing, checking this get off you have, which is yeah. the crazy stance you have, by the way, <laughs> and, and watching you uh, this weekend. Are you, are you going to get a sack? Can we expect a sack out of you, two sacks, 1.5? <laughs> give, us, give us a number. What are you, what are you what popping off with? For sure, every, every week uh, I strive to get at least one sack. And, no, uh, no strive. We're not striving at the waggle here. We want to know if you're going to get one or not. Talk to me. <laughs> I'm not, Can we count on you for one? I'm not a big trash talker, but I, I, I'll, yeah, you guys count on me for one at least. I appreciate it. Kweku Botang, thanks for joining us. Your first playoff week, one of the bright young stars in this league, a Canadian pass rushing specialist. He's having a great year. Coach Benny said 20 years of training camps. This guy had the most impressive training camp of any rookie he's ever seen. Huge praise for Kweku Botang. Thanks for joining us.
Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a good day.